Testament. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, God. We're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you want to put a finger there in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And then we're also going to go to Ezekiel chapter 37. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and Ezekiel chapter 37. I'm going to say again, it's so good to have one of our guests here in the house with us today. Amen. Good to see friends as well. Amen. Friends I haven't seen in a little while. Amen. Catalina, it's so good to have you back with us here. Amen. She was... Here on Wednesday night. So glad to have you here worshiping with us today. Praise his name. These two passages, 1 Timothy chapter 4, Ezekiel chapter 37. We'll start here in the New Testament. Paul writing here to his protege, his uh, the one that he was discipling, mentoring, Timothy. He tells him, he says, neglect not thy gift that's in you. This is a gift, he says, given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. It says, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. That particularly, that first verse, the beginning of that first verse, There he said, neglect not that gift that is in thee. You have a gift. You have been called. I'm not just speaking here to to individuals that uh, have a uh, a platform ministry or a ministry of of perhaps in some uh, capacity where you are leading others within the church. But every one of us is called to a ministry. Every one of us is called by God and every one of us has the gift of God, the gifts that God would give us. And he says these were given by prophecy. In fact, I want to speak on that that prophecy here today. But let's go to Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 6. Reading here, it says that the hand of the Lord was upon me and he carried me out in the spirit of the Lord. And he sent me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. This is Ezekiel speaking here and writing of this thing that occurred to him. Verse 2, he says, he caused me to pass by them round about. Behold, there were very many that were in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. He said unto me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said unto him, I answered, O Lord, God, thou knowest. And again, he said unto me, prophesy to these bones. Say to them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and I will bring up flesh upon you, and I will cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you shall live. You shall know that I am the Lord. What an incredible thing that happened that day. 
Ezekiel brought out to this valley full of dry bones. And God asks him that question. Can these bones live? God's help today. I just want to speak just for a little while here this morning. On this subject of muted prophets. Muted prophets. We could just, just set our Bibles down. I just want to lift up our hands. Just pray in this place once more. Lord, I pray that you would just come in here right now. Lord, that you would just give me the words to speak. God, that you would allow me, Lord, to be a vessel, Lord, that could be used by you right now. Lord, I pray that in this place, Lord, that any distractions, Lord, that would get our mind off of what you want to accomplish through us and in us, Lord, those distractions would be set aside. Lord, that they would... Uh, they would uh, leave this place right now. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to uh, be attentive, God, to your voice. Lord, that we would be attentive, Lord, to what you are speaking to us, Lord, so that we may uh, go forth and accomplish that which you have called us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated here today. Muted prophets. See, when the prophet is muted... The prophecy never comes. The valley remains. The dry bones would remain. The sinews would never be laid upon those bones. The flesh and the skin, they would not come for a covering. The breath would not come back to those lifeless bones that were scattered there in the valley. When that prophecy never comes when the prophet is mute life does not come god's will doesn't happen when the prophet doesn't speak god's will is not able to be accomplished so in speaking on on this subject of spiritual gifts i I recognize that people have different feelings that are connected to this subject and you know to some it may may feel like something that's far off, like something that's unattainable, perhaps even a little spooky or or mystifying in, in some terms. But really, the gifts of the Spirit, they are not meant to be mystifying. They're not meant to, to be spooky in any, in any terms. That these things really, uh, are, are gifts that God would give us. They're simply gifts of the Spirit. Gifts from God to his people. And they are there to confirm to them that God loves them and that God wants to reconcile them back to him. These are gifts that are given to edify the church and to bring glory to God. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts. These are a beautiful thing. The gifts are a beautiful thing. They're, they're not just meant to operate in certain settings. I believe that the gifts of God are meant to operate even in our daily lives. Oftentimes we, we might think or have this, this notion that the, the spiritual gifts are only to be used in a setting like this where we would gather together on a Sunday and that's when God is able to use a spiritual gift or use us in some manner. And, uh, and that is not the case. God desires to use uh, for us to operate in the spiritual gifts that he has given the church so that it may edify the church. It may build us up. Now, I, I 
recognize that that the gifts uh, they go beyond just the spiritual gifts that are mentioned in First uh, Corinthians, where it lists the nine spiritual gifts. And uh, tonight, it's not or today. It's not a Bible study. I'm not going to dive into every single one of those here today. But uh, I recognize those gifts. But there are more gifts than just those. There are the gifts of help, different gifts that God would give us. There, there are things that simply. These are, this is what I'm gifted at. Perhaps it's what you are gifted at and you're able to help others. Maybe you could cook well and so you're able to help somebody by cooking a meal for them or inviting them in. Or perhaps you're administratively inclined and so you're able to do things administratively and there's a gifting in that to the prospering of the church. These gifts are gifts that God would give to the church. There's also Listed in, in the New Testament among these gifts that God would give to the church. The fivefold ministry. He says, I give unto the church the gift. It's a gift of the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. So he says of these five of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. I believe that these, in, that these uh, are offices, that these are uh, people who would uh, be uh, be able to fill those certain roles, and uh, and God has uh, given them a certain uh, gifting to to fill that that role within the church. But it's more than just a role that just a few might have. I believe in, in prophets. I believe even in modern day apostles today. An apostle, one who is sent. One who would go forth and preach the word of God, who would open up new areas. An apostle is somebody who might uh, enter into a new country that has not yet been open to the gospel message. And they would go in and they would be able to establish the word of God there. Or maybe it's not a new, new country, but it's a it's a new landscape here in here locally and in, in your community. God could even use an apostle to open up new doors and he would he would begin to tear down spiritual. Uh, uh, forces or spiritual things that are in certain communities. An apostle is somebody I believe that God is still, uh, God still has them in operation today for the edifying of the church or the building up of the church. He also has modern day prophets. That prophets, these are those that, that they would See the, see things perhaps that others are not uh, able to see within the spirit world. And it's not that others don't have access to it. It's just that, uh, they are, um, they have been, uh, they have uh, gotten to that, that, that place where God is, is using them in the gift of prophecy. But prophecy, I don't want to, uh, I'm gonna narrow in on this here today because I don't want us to, Put prophecy only on that lofty level. Prophecy in one sense can be a very lofty thing. Something that is uh, almost, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, something that's uh, scary in some sense because 
they uh, they would speak something as though it were, and and uh, and if it is of God, then it would come to pass. It's the foretelling of the will of God. It's the fore, forth telling of what God would want to accomplish. This is what prophecy is. Perhaps even for you, you think about prophecy, and it evokes images. You know, a lot of images in your mind. Maybe even of the book of prof, books of prophecy in the Bible. Even in, in the New Testament, we have the book of Revelation. That is a book of prophecy, things that are yet to be fulfilled. And, and you have these, these th- images that kind of come in your mind when you think of prophecy and end time prophecy. Anybody ever dove into end time prophecy a little bit, or at least interested in it somewhat to, uh, to try to get an understanding of the time that we are living in now? I believe we're living in the end time. Amen. I believe it. In fact, the events that we're witnessing right now, I believe that they have already been foretold in Scripture, that God has already laid the groundwork, that we are experiencing things, we're observing things that the Lord said to be watchful for. He said, I want you to keep your eyes on the outlook, be watchful, for there are things that will come to pass, and when you see them come to pass, then my rege- your redemption draweth an eye. I'm going to split the eastern sky one day. And so you hear these words of prophecy and, or the, this, this word prophecy and perhaps it think, you think of the book of Revelation in times or a prophet coming in and, and speaking a, a specific word to you about something that will come to pass. But in scripture we see that prophecy was used even more broadly than just that. The prophecy, uh, it, it was speaking of the, uh, telling what God wants to say. It's you becoming the voice of God. It's you allowing God to speak through you. That's what prophecy, it was, it was not just confined to a, a, a narrow uh, view of prophecy that uh, that, that looks at these things that are, uh, are so grand. And it's not just that, but, but it is allowing God to, to come in and, and begin to, uh, move on you so that you might speak, uh, speak life into somebody, somebody's circumstances. So that you would begin to allow God to, to use you to speak to somebody else about what God wants to do for them. It's, 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 uh, beginning to, to speak not in a unknown tongue, but praying with a known tongue. In fact, if you go into 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it addresses this, this, uh, difference between prophecy and, and speaking in a language that is known to you and, and praying and speaking things forth that God would have you to say and, and that and praying in tongues and, he goes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he says, begins here, he says, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Especially that you would prophesy. He goes, continues on, and he, he speaks uh, on the topic of, of praying in an unknown language. And, and he says that, uh, that you can pray in tongues, but he says, I desi- what I desire even more then your prayers that are in an unknown language is that you would prophesy. Now there's all kind of confusion that 
can arise out of that. That some would say that Paul was, was uh, telling the church to no longer pray in tongues. That he was saying that it's no longer needed. That's not what he was saying. He, in fact, he said, I pray in tongues more than, more than y'all. He says, all of you together, I pray, I pray in tongues often. He says, but it's more beneficial for the church that you would prophesy. It's more beneficial for the church that you would come and you would have a conversation with somebody across the table. And you would begin to speak life into their circumstance. It's more beneficial for you to get on your knees and begin to pray with knowledge. Begin to pray a spirit of, with the spirit of prophecy that you would speak life into somebody's circumstance. That you would begin to pray with the words of, or with the, the gift of prophecy that they would begin to see God's will come to pass in them. Proverbs says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. You have the opportunity to speak life into somebody. In fact, this past week, I'm sure that you had an opportunity to speak life into somebody else. You either took that opportunity or you allowed it to pass by. Possibly without even realizing that you had done so. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The words that you speak have power. I just wish that somebody would ask God to open up their eyes so that they could see the valley of dry bones that sits before them. Ezekiel, in this, in this passage that we read, he, he was brought before a valley that was full of dry bones. And it was there, and they were strewn throughout this valley. And, and God asked him this question, do you believe that these bones can live? See, even here today. You have been presented with a valley of dry bones. These bones, they represent your coworker who's going through a divorce. Doesn't really know where to find the answers. It's, it's your lab partner that you got paired with in science class who is so numb to life that they have resorted to cutting in order to feel something. These dry bones are the family member who didn't want to come to that, come to that last family gathering because they've been hurt too many times. It's the single mother who is struggling. She wants to do right by her kids and get them to church, but she has no gas money and no friends who are willing to help her out. These bones are individuals who you come in contact with day after day. And though they may put on layers of a facade, deep down they're hurting. Deep down there's a void that needs to be filled by something. Deep down they are stuck in life not knowing where to turn. And it's here. God says, I want you to look. You are in the midst of a valley of dry bones. But first, you must look. You must realize that God has placed, where God has placed you. And that you are here for a reason. Look around. That's what he tells, Mo, or that's what he tells Ezekiel. I want you to look around. What do you see? Do you see the dry bones? Inwardly, can you hear the cries of those who are crying out for help? Do you see people who they need something? 
Inwardly, they are there, and, 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 and you know, on the outside, they may look like they have it all together, but, but they have a need in them. They need life breathed into them. See, we can't leave it up to just the ministerial staff of this church to reach those who are around us. God is wanting to prophesy through you. God is wanting you to raise up some dry bones that are in the valley that only you are standing in. You're the one that's standing in that valley today. And you have dry bones that are all around you. And God wants to use you to begin to prophesy to some bones that they may live. See, in Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, he writes, he says, I beseech you, brethren. He says, you know the house of Stephanus? You know the house of Stephanus? They knew Stephanus. You, you know Stephanus, right? Everybody in here, you know Stephanus? I can't believe I don't see people who are like, yeah, I know Stephanus. Because they all knew Stephanus. They, they knew his whole family. See, the reason that you don't know Stephanus today is because this is the only time that he's mentioned, besides in an introduction in the, in, to 1 Corinthians. Stephanus, he wasn't an apostle. He wasn't one of the disciples of Jesus. He didn't have a Damascus Road conversion like Paul did. He didn't have an opportunity to travel with Paul like Barnabas did. Silas did or Timothy did. See, we know that he was one of the first ones that was baptized in Greece. Possibly even he was the Philippian jailer that was from Acts 16. We don't know that for sure, but he was from that region. But as far as we know, he didn't have any kind of Christian pedigree. Yet Paul writes... I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it's the first fruits of Achaia. And that, look at this, they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. What would this church look like if we had a couple families just like Stephanus who addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. <laughs> Stephanus. I, I, he wasn't one of the disciples. He wasn't one of the apostles. He wasn't one of those that was mentioned among the, the first elders. He wasn't one of the, the ones that was by Stephen. He didn't travel with Paul. He was just one of the first fruits of Achaia. He was one of the first disciples there. And he addicted himself to ministry. I can tell you that it would be the most rewarding addiction that you could ever experience. What better thing could you addict yourself to than the ministry of the saints? This is a family you've never even heard of who Paul uses as an example to the Corinthian church as someone who has addicted themselves to the ministry. And I'm telling you right now, God wants to use every person in this place who is willing to, to do the work of the ministry. See, God, he gave... The apostles, he gave the prophets, he gave the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. The, the purpose of the pastor is to equip them, to equip you to be used in ministry. That's 
the purpose of the offices that God would give of the, 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 the fivefold ministry, that they would equip the church to be used in ministry. And we're not here today to just sit down at the table and to be served week after week after week. We need to pick up the towel and be the ones who serve others. We need to be the ones who say, God, I need to go and I need to find somebody else that I can impact. I need to find somebody else that I can make a difference in their life. And that doesn't mean that I have it all together. That doesn't mean that I need to get everything straightened out in my life before I can start to do that. No, God has called me to start it right now. God has called me to start it right now. If I would have waited to get everything together in my life before I started the ministry, I'm telling you, I still wouldn't be up here today. I still wouldn't be standing here right now because I don't have it all together. And God has called you right now to begin to do the work that he has called you to do. And when you are addicted to the ministry, you don't care that you're giving up some time that you've spent in front of a television. You don't mind the fact that you're getting home just a little bit later than usual because you're addicted. You can't get enough of it. See, you don't have to be in charge of youth ministry or men's ministry or ladies ministry. You don't have to be in charge of something here at the church. No, God has called each and every one of us to speak to the valley of dry bones that is around you. And he has asked you to prophesy to the bones. See, but what happens when the prophet is muted? What happens when that prophecy never comes? See, God, he brought Ezekiel there to that valley of dry bones. But he didn't just ask Ezekiel to look out at those dry bones. To assess where each of them lay. No he said Ezekiel. I need you to prophesy. I need you to begin to speak. I need you to begin to, to tell these bones that they have life in them. What would have happened if Ezekiel would have ignored this command from God? If Ezekiel. If he would have ignored God. If he would have been scared. And if he would have said nothing. If he would have said, they're going to call me a false prophet because nothing's going to happen. What if he expects that somebody else is going to come and they're going to do this? Somebody else has got, God, you can, you can use somebody else. Bring them into this valley of dry bones so that they may speak, so that they can be used. You see, when the prophet is muted, life never enters into the body. Those bones never come together. See, maybe we just need a better understanding of what it means to prophesy. See, prophesy here is referring to the foretelling of the will of God. And when God told Ezekiel to prophesy here, he's saying, I want you just to speak under my inspiration. As I give you the words to say, I want you just to say whatever I, whatever you hear or feel in your heart. I want you to begin to speak into their situation. I want you just to begin to pray over them. Just pray blessings on them. Just pray the word of God upon them. I want you just to pray for those who are around you. See, you don't have to serve in the role of a prophet to prophesy in this sense. God can inspire anyone to prophesy. God does not move without first declaring beforehand. This is why prayer is so vital. God's not just going to come in and begin to uh, begin to uh, to do something without Him first moving on somebody else to pray it into existence. This is how God operates. We see it all throughout Scripture. This pattern that God He does not come in and bring revival to a land without a people who first prayed. 
God does not come into situations and, and, be, and just, just, just do stuff and, 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 and do miracles without somebody, without first using somebody that would come. God uses us as his agent of change. That's why prayer is so important. That's why our role as the ones who have prophesied what God's will is, is so important. That, yeah, God could do it if he wanted to, but we see time after time after time in scripture that he chooses to use you. He chooses to use us, us people, to be the ones who would speak his word into existence, who would speak things so that they may happen. So if we neglect to open our mouth and to prophesy, then we are stopping what God could have done. I don't ever want it to be said of New Life Apostolic Church, as it was as it was said in Isaiah fifty nine, that God looked, and there was no man. He wondered that there was no intercessor. God was looking for someone to intercede. God was looking for someone to pray. God was looking for someone to prophesy. So he was looking for someone to speak life into someone else's situation. But he didn't find anybody. All he found was a bunch of muted prophets. There were people that were there. There were people that they served God. There were people that they were capable of it. But he couldn't find one that would open up their mouth and they would speak or they would pray. See, Jonah, he ran when he first received the word from God. He was scared. He didn't know what to do. He was a muted prophet. Until finally God shook him up enough to say, you better get to Nineveh. You better get to Nineveh. That's where I've called you to go. And he began to speak the words of God. And we see a whole city that was changed because of one man who finally opened up his mouth and began to declare what God had called him to do. See, I don't want to be like Jonah I don't want to be like Jonah who refused to prophesy. I don't want to be like him who God has to throw me in the belly of a whale for three days to get my attention. I don't want to be like Israel when God couldn't find someone to intercede. So where are we at, church? Where are we at? Are you still staring at the same valley of dry bones day after day without speaking what God has called you to speak into their lives? Is God asking you, can these bones live? And day after day, your, your, your response is simply, Lord, you know. Lord, you know. Can these bones live? Lord, you know. But you can't go any further than that because you don't think that you're the one who's ready to prophesy. But here today, I want, to, I want you to know that God is calling you to speak. God's calling you to say something. God is calling you to speak life. God is calling you to get involved in ministry. God is calling you, in fact, to addict yourself to the ministry. See, this church will not survive if the body does not minister. God is calling you to get out of your comfort zone and to begin to speak to some hurting people. God is calling you to begin to speak life into somebody else. God is calling you to minister to the needs of somebody. See, speaking, uh, speaking this doesn't always happen just out of our mouth. It's it oftentimes even just the actions. It, it needs to be backed up by what we do, by, by the actions that we have. It's time for us today to use the gift of prophecy that God has given us. Neglect not the gift. Neglect not the gift that I've given you. 
He says, I would that you all would prophesy. I want you to speak in tongues, but even more than that, I wish you all would prophesy. I want you to, to, to pray. I want you to pray and, 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 and I want you to, to get lost in the spirit. But more than that, I wish you all would prophesy. I wish you all would get involved in somebody's life. I wish you all would begin to speak life into somebody's situation. I wish you all would begin to declare the truth of God. I wish you all would begin to speak what I am calling you to speak. I wish you all would begin to do what I have called you to do. I want to I close with this a, a story here today. Perhaps there's someone in here who remembers a man by the name of John Red Fuller. He was a troubled teen back in the 1950s. He was heading nowhere with the wrong friends on the wrong path. He uh, making a whole lot of wrong decisions in his life. As a young man, he was burglarizing a home. And he was doing this with a friend. And as they were in this home, the homeowner arrived, arrived back home. And as she came in, she startled them. And, and they turned and they shot the woman that killed her. John Fuller, he was sentenced to life in prison. In fact, he had two consecutive life terms with no chance for parole. While he was at Brushy Mountain State Prison in Tennessee, read, he learned quickly that you have to fight to survive. And so immediately he established himself as the strongest, the meanest man in the Tennessee prison system. He was a killer. Not just on the outside of prison, but he became a killer on the inside of prison as well. He was a man who he would beat others. He killed more inside of prison than he did outside of prison. He was a terrible, wicked, devil-possessed man. I sat this week, just listened to a testimony that he had recorded. And and every he was talking about how everybody in that prison system, they were afraid of him. They, They called him red because, one, his hair was red, but also... He got the nickname because of how much blood he had shed, how much blood he had shed. John Red Fuller, this terrible, wicked, vile man, he was by himself in solitary confinement in that prison, and they couldn't even leave him there with the other inmates. And every once in a while, the prison chaplain would come down to speak to Red Fuller. He would just talk to him. He, he didn't want anything to do with God. That God has nothing for me. There's, there's nothing that you can offer me. I, I, he, he knew who he was. He knew the kind of man that he was. He was, he was totally resistant to anything that this chaplain would say. But there, finally one day, this chaplain, when he had come down, uh, he, he just happened to mention that there was a church service that was going down or going on inside the, the prison. And there was going to be a few women that were there at that church service. And that kind of got Red's attention. He hadn't seen a woman in quite some time. And so he, he agreed, I'll, I'll go down to this service. And so he didn't realize it at the time, but there was this elderly woman who was there in the middle, uh, in the center of the room. And she was taking prayer requests from the inmates who were there. And and she had come, this church had come from a Pentecostal church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Red, he, he spoke up and he, he asked this woman if she could begin to pray for his mother. He had corresponded with her a bit and knew that she was not doing well physically. And so 
he was, he asked for this prayer request. He went back and, and though he was affected, he, he said he was affected by the service that evening. But the next day, he tried to escape from the prison. It wasn't the first time he had done so. He had, in fact, even escaped. Uh, he actually was, uh, was also a part of one of the, um, or he helped in one of the most famous prison escapes in America. And, uh, and he helps, he helps somebody else get out. But on that day, he, he again tried to escape the prison and his attempt that day it failed. But a month later, he had a visitor that showed up at his cell. It was that woman preacher. In fact, she, she wasn't really a licensed preacher, but there was this woman who, she was the one who was the prison ministry leader from this Pentecostal church. She told him that my church has been praying for your mother. A week later, she showed up again at his, at his cell. This time, she just wanted to tell him, Jesus loves you. Week after week after week, she showed up. He wasn't always interested in hearing what she had to say. At times, it would spark just a little bit of faith in him, but it would often fade. And soon, uh, he would be spinning awful things at her and telling her, you know, all these things. When she was just trying to express God's unconditional love, and he would tell her that there is no way that God could love me. There's no way that God could love me. And this woman, she was also a Sunday school teacher at her church. And she began to bring in recordings of her Sunday school children who were there. And they would tell them, Jesus loves you, Red. And so do we. His heart was beginning to soften. He was still a killer. He was still tormented by the thought of what he had done and just who he was. But, but then there came a day when after two years of weekly visits, he finally held out his hands outside of those prison bars. He still had the, his hands chained together, but he lifted them up and surrendered to God. And for the first time in his life, he actually believed that God could forgive him. He was filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. His life began to change drastically. He was soon baptized in Jesus' name. And as soon as he was given permission to do so, he even began to baptize others inside of that prison in Jesus' name. It wasn't long before the Tennessee District of the United Pentecostal Church went in and they licensed this man as a minister inside of that prison because his life had so been transformed. And he began to preach the gospel inside of that prison inside of those prison walls on april 24th 1982 the state was also so convinced of his complete transformation that they paroled him this man who had two consecutive life sentences he served 25 years behind bars but he was given an opportunity to be freed from that prison on that day and he from that day forward did not stop preaching the good news of jesus christ to everyone who would listen up until his death on october 2010 And here's just what I want to say today. Thank God for preachers who refuse to see what everyone else sees. Thank God for this woman who visited this evil man every week for two years. She refused to see his blood-soaked hands and instead said, I see a blood-soaked cross of Calvary and I know that God is able to save you. Listen, we are a blessed people. 
We are a blessed people and I am called to begin to proclaim blessings on others, not curses. I want to begin to prophesy blessings on my friends. I want to begin to prophesy blessings on my enemies. I want to begin to speak prophecies over somebody's life that God would see, that they would see God transform them. I want to speak blessings. I want to, I want to prophesy over somebody's life that they would have life come into them. They may just be a, just a, a dry bone that's laying in the valley right now, but God said, speak life. Come on, would you begin to pray for somebody right now? Would there be somebody in this place who would just begin to stay, who would stand to their feet and say, I want to speak life into somebody's circumstance. God, would you use me this week? God, would you use me this week? God, I don't want to be a muted prophet. God, I want to see I want to see the flesh come back on the bones. I don't want to see life begin to come back into somebody. Lord, I want to see somebody like Red Fuller, who nobody, nobody believed that he could have had a transformation. But God, there was somebody, there was somebody who said, I'm not going to just sit here. I'm not just going to keep my mouth closed. I know that God has something special. I know that God can do it. And they began to do a work. Oh, would you speak life right now? Would you speak life right now? Would you speak life right now to somebody? Would you pray as an intercessor for that individual? Would you begin right now just to lift somebody up? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Would you just begin to pray over them?